Hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost. I'm your host, Annette. And I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode 23. Stephen, have you ever been to Edinburgh Castle? I have. Really? Yeah. You've never been to anywhere that we've done before? I've never been to Edinburgh Castle. No, <laughs> so you know some of this stuff. But be interested in what I know that you don't, or what I what I mentioned that you don't. I just looked at the guns and the high walls and stuff. Like we went uh, on a day trip from a campsite, and I had twenty or thirty scouts with me. So too busy telling kids to get off that wall. And... <laughs> okay, well it'll be interesting to see what you know and what you don't know. Uh, we crack on. Crackity crack on. Edinburgh Castle is, without question, one of the most well-known castles in Europe, dare I say the world. Of course, it has a history like most castles of bravery, love, grief and betrayal. But can we stop for a minute and take in the fact that Edinburgh Castle is built on an extinct volcano? Castle Rock is the name of the summit and it's about 430 feet above sea level. And it is old. We're talking nearly 3,000 years old. Edinburgh Castle has been besieged more than any other building in British history. The castle's been under siege 26 times. As a royal residence, a barracks, a prison, and a symbol of Scottish sovereignty, it's been home to many different uses. Many events have impacted the architecture of the castle over the centuries, such as the English occupation, King Robert the Bruce's borders of destruction, the rough wooing of Mary Queen of Scots, the Lang Siege, Jacobite Risings, and rebuilding during the Victorian era have all led to the castle we see today. There's enough history buried in Edinburgh Castle to warrant its own podcast, so I'll just mention the big dates, and even those are plenty. There's been a defence force on the site since the Iron Age. In 638 AD, it served as a defence stronghold for the Gadotten until the Angles under Oswald of Northumbria attacked the fort and claimed it. They changed the name from Dinaiden to Edinburgh, borough meaning fortress. In 1093, the first writings were found mentioning a castle rather than a fort. It's here Queen Margaret, also known as the Pearl of Scotland, was said to have taken to her bed and died broken-hearted after the death of her beloved husband, Malcolm III, King of Scots. At the time, the castle was known as the Castle of Maidens, and there are two legends behind that. The first is the Picts, a group of people who lived in what is now northern and eastern Scotland in the early Middle Ages. They kept their virgin princesses in the castle. The other legend says that it was named after St. Monin and her nuns who founded the chapel on Castle Rock. Though they may not have been nuns at all, but pagan priestesses. This theory was somewhat corroborated when an excavation in 1853 uncovered several human bones buried, and they were all female. In 1130, St. Margaret's Chapel was constructed by David I in memory of Queen Margaret, his mother, who was later canonised, for her work bringing the Catholic Church into line with the more mainstream practices of the Roman Catholic Church. King David evicted the former nuns so the new chapel could be built. St. Margaret's Chapel is now the oldest building in Edinburgh. The castle started to develop into a royal fortress during the reign of King David. Things were set to change drastically for Scotland 
On March 19, 1286, Alexander III left Edinburgh Castle after wedding celebrations with his second wife and overseeing a meeting with his royal advisors. The following day was said to be his wife's birthday, so of course, no warning of a horrific storm brewing was going to stop him from being with her. Tragically, he was separated from his entourage somewhere near Kinghorn and fell over a steep embankment to his death. Though a very romantic feat, his death plunged Scotland into a bitter war with England. King Edward I invaded Scotland in 1296. First was the horrendous sack of Borwick, where some accounts say anywhere from four to 17,000 were slain. Some accounts say the women were spared, some do not. Following this was the Battle of Dunbar, which was a resounding defeat, and after this, all of Scotland's castles surrendered. The English held Edinburgh Castle for 20 long years. That was until a night raid in 1314 led by Thomas Randolph, the nephew of Robert the Bruce, King of the Scots, where he retook the castle within mere 20 men. They climbed the cliff face and then scaled the walls. Three months later, at the Battle of Bannockburn, the last of the castles under English control were retaken by the Scottish King. They held strong for 20 years, but the castle was recaptured by the English. But fear not, under Sir William Douglas, seven years later, it was claimed back with his men disguised as merchants. By 1380, the War of Independence had taken its toll on Edinburgh Castle. King David, Robert the Bruce's son, commissioned the reconstruction of the castle. As part of the reconstruction, David's tower was built. It dominated the Edinburgh skyline for around 200 years, standing nearly 100 feet tall. The story goes, that when the tower was built, a series of tunnels were also built underneath, but no mention of the purpose was ever found. So naturally, when a passageway was found in a cellar a few hundred years later, people were intrigued. The opening to the tunnel was quite small, so a young piper was sent into the tunnel and advised to play his bagpipes and walk the length of the tunnel so that he could be heard from above ground and traced. But suddenly, halfway down the Royal Mile, the road leading up to Edinburgh Castle, the young piper's music just stopped dead. Several search parties made great efforts to find the boy, but none were successful. It said that on quiet nights when the traffic dies down, the muffled sounds of the young boy's bagpipes can still be heard. After the murder of James I in 1437, his then six-year-old son became King of Scots. This was a very dark and bloody part of Scottish history, as rival factions sought to control the young king. His mother, Queen Joan, organised a retaliation killing on the member of the Stuart clan responsible for her husband's murder, but the clans were just getting started. In 1440, a dinner was held. In attendance was the young king, among many guests, including 15-year-old William Douglas and his younger brother, David, both sons of Archibald Douglas, who, after James I was murdered, had served as both Lieutenant General of Scotland and co-regent for James II. Many of the clans believed that the Douglas clan held too much power and sought to change this. William had become Earl of Douglas after his father's recent death, and Lord Chancellor Sir William Crichton from one of the rival clans saw this as an opportunity to undermine Clan Douglas's power and influence. Legend has it that the children had a great time, enjoying food, entertainment and talking until dinner ended when the head of a bull was dropped on the table. This was the symbol of death, the death of a black Douglas. Despite the protests of the very young king, 
the two young Douglas boys were dragged outside, given a mock trial, found guilty of treason and beheaded. But it didn't end with the young Douglas boys. It would still be going on nearly another 100 years with Archibald Douglas. He was an opportunistic character hell-bent on power. To tell his story, we start with James V, born in 1512. He became King of the Scots at just 17 months old when his father died at the Battle of Flodden. Archibald Douglas saw an opportunity and married James's mother, Margaret Tudor. In 1525, Douglas took custody of James and turned him into a virtual prisoner under his care. Scotland was in Douglas's hand and he wielded his power with impunity, but power is fragile. Three years later, now aged 16, the young king escaped and took control of his kingdom, now with a hatred for all named Douglas. Archibald Douglas skipped the country. This would not fare well for Janet Douglas, Archibald's sister. Through her marriage to John Lynn, 6th Lord of Glamis, Janet Douglas became Lady Glamis. They had one son, John, and were very happy. William Lyne, a close relative of John's, became obsessed with Janet, but never made any advances until John died in 1528. Now, Janet was without her protector. When Janet rebuffed his advances and then went on to marry her second husband, Archibald Campbell, in 1532, William's obsession turned to hatred and she wound up with an even larger target on her back. William accused Janet, Archibald Campbell and John Lyne, an aged priest and his own near relation, of planning to poison the king. He had them arrested. As William made his accusations to the king, he found him all too willing to listen. Getting a conviction, however, proved a little bit more difficult than anticipated and King James resorted to torture to extort evidence from Janet's servants and family. Unfortunately for Janet Douglas, though she was accused of witchcraft, among other things, she was not sentenced to death as a witch. If she had been, she might have been granted the small mercy given to accused witches. They were normally strangled before being put into the flames. Even this kindness was denied to her. What's worse still, her young son of 16 was allegedly forced to watch as the flames consumed his mother. Shortly after her gruesome death, Probably to no one's surprise, people witnessed the Grey Lady walking through the castle weeping. The day after her execution, her husband Archibald tried to escape from the castle. But either the rope he used wasn't long enough, or it snapped, and he plunged to his death. Another date of importance is June 19, 1566, when the future King James VI of Scotland and I of England was born. His mother, Mary Queen of Scots, deemed Edinburgh Castle a safer place to give birth than her usual residence, Holyrood House, located at the end of the Royal Mile. Only three months before had her own home been invaded, but not by thugs or thieves, but by five lords working in cahoots with her husband. Mary's private secretary, David Rizzio, was pulled from her chamber, where she lay heavily pregnant, and at the top of a nearby staircase he was murdered, stripped of his clothing and jewels, and thrown down the stairs. His ghost is said to haunt the 16th century tower where the deed took place. I would highly recommend reading up on Mary Queen of Scots. Though her story is tragic, she was a formidable woman. But back to the birth of her son James. It was a long and painful labour, but with the delivery of a healthy male heir, celebrations were to be had. However, 
Now we're left with questions. In 1800, buried within the castle walls, an infant skeleton was found. Unable to perform any tests at the time to find out the identity of the remains, the rumour mill started. One prevalent rumour at the time was that the remains belonged to King James VI himself and that he was murdered as an infant and an imposter placed on the throne. Either way, a mere 14 months after Mary gave birth, James's father Darnley was murdered, his mother deposed and he was crowned king. The Lang siege on Edinburgh Castle was in 1571. The siege lasted for 17 months and was triggered when Mary Queen of Scots married the Earl of Bothwell. The marriage stirred a rebellion among the Scottish noblemen. Mary fled to England, but still had loyal followers who remained in Edinburgh. Sir William Kirkcaldy of Grange, governor of Edinburgh Castle, held the castle against the regents of Mary's son, King James VI, but not for long. Queen Elizabeth of England donated 20 cannons to the regents. As a result, much of the castle was reduced to rubble, including David's tower. Eventually, Kirkcaldy was forced to surrender when the water supply was choked. He was executed and his head impaled on a spike as a warning to others. The last monarch to reside in Edinburgh Castle was Charles I in 1633, before his coronation as King of the Scots when James VI succeeded to the throne in England. At this point, the castle was left with only a military function. In 1639, it took a mere 30 minutes for the Covenanter forces to capture Edinburgh Castle. They were a 17th century Scottish religious and political movement that supported the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. They believed that a king could not dictate what religious beliefs his subjects should have. According to legend, a ghostly headless drummer is said to be seen before the castle would come under attack. Not a regular occurrence today though, the last sighting of the headless drummer was said to be in 1650. But these were odd times for Edinburgh. January 30th, 1649, the last king to be born on Scottish soil, Charles I, was beheaded. After that, strange occurrences around Scotland's capital began to happen. There were unusual sword-shaped meteors in the sky, as well as spectral soldiers riding over nearby hills on horseback. Then a headless drummer began playing his drums every night upon the castle's battlements. Despite the sentries firing the muskets at the shade, the figure promptly disappeared, leaving no trace behind. According to Walter Dundas, a Scottish march was played first, and then a tune known to the English forces was played. Finally, the Phantom played a French rhythm. Not long after, the Battle of Dunbar occurred. Oliver Cromwell then marched on Edinburgh and the castle was besieged for three months before Walter Dundas surrendered. The headless drummer was never seen again, but the Phantom beating of drums can sometimes still be heard. The last siege of Edinburgh Castle was in 1745. In Scotland, England and Ireland, Jacobitism fought to restore Stuart monarchs to their thrones. The 1715 rebellion would result in the strengthening of the castle's artillery defences as the Jacobites came very close to claiming the castle by scaling the north walls. The 1745 rebellion, led by Bonnie Prince Charlie, saw the capture of Holyrood Palace but he did not have the necessary firepower to mount a serious assault on Edinburgh Castle. 1758 would see Edinburgh Castle's first prisoners of war. The castle was the most secure lockup in Scotland. Between 1758 and 1814, 
The vaults under the castle would become home to countless prisoners of war following the Seven Year War. Castle dungeons are rarely pleasant. Stories were well known of the poor living conditions, disease, starvation and torture. But for those who wound up there one way or another, you cannot blame them for wondering, how do I get out of here? For one prisoner, this was not just a wondering. So desperate was he to escape, he buried himself in the contents of a wheelbarrow. More specifically, the dung wheelbarrow. Human, horse, you name it, it was in the wheelbarrow. I'm not sure where he thought they brought the excrement. Surely he didn't think they'd bring it from the dungeon, through the castle, out the front door and down the Royal Mile. But I'm almost positive there's no way he could have known that the contents of the wheelbarrow were simply tipped over the towering edge of Castle Rock, where he went with it and plummeted to his death. I suppose you could say he escaped the dungeon, however he hasn't left the castle. It's said that his resentful spirit is known to attempt to push people from a height in the castle. Luckily, visitors have been advised of the strange tell to know if he's around. A foul smell of dung. A group of French soldiers had a bit more luck in 1811. 49 of them hacked their way out and used a rope to scale down the south crag. The hole in the castle wall is still visible today. The ghosts of Napoleonic war prisoners were reported to be harassing construction workers in 2003 when working on the castle's restoration. Some of the workmen refused to work on their own from then on. 1818 marks the year the Honours of Scotland were rediscovered by Walter Scott. The Honours of Scotland is the title given to Scotland's crown jewels. These consist of the crown, sceptre and sword of state. They are the oldest crown jewels in Britain. The jewels were hidden first when Oliver Cromwell marched into Scotland to prevent them falling into his hands, but not because he wanted them, but because he wanted to destroy them as he had the English crown jewels. They were buried at Dunatar Castle near Stonehaven between 1651 and 1660. After the Act of Union in 1707, they were locked in the crown room in Edinburgh Castle and forgotten about then Walter Scott rediscovered them. They can now be seen on display at Edinburgh Castle. And lastly, also displayed with the crown jewels in Edinburgh Castle, is the Stone of Destiny, which returned to Scotland after 700 years in England. Taken by Edward I in 1296, the stone was a symbol of Scotland's nationhood. So in summation, Scotland has a tragic, bloody and badass history. Edinburgh Castle seems to have been built, besieged, left in rubble and then rebuilt with blood, sweat and tears and has had quite a variety of residents. But it was either a lovely place to live or even in death is still a formidable stronghold because a lot of those residents don't want to or can't leave. What do you think of that story? I think they don't want to leave because the whiskey's so good. Do you reckon? Yeah. I don't know what it is about Edinburgh as a town. It kind of gives off... Now, I've never been, but from what I've seen online, it kind of gives off a Harry Potter theme. Ah, there's parts of it that give off that kind of vibe, yeah. But definitely. I like that. I, that's, I, there's old streets in Dublin City that I love where the buildings are like so very close together. Think of think of Galway. Yeah. The old yeah. parts of Galway. Then, then add some hills because oh, no. it's never flat. Okay. Then add a Scottish accent and then a few kilts and a few drams of whiskey and that's... That's Cork. That's... Scotland but, and also Cork. Yeah, but Cork is. But, okay, I said the Scottish accent. 
Um, I left out so much. I know I left. I know I put in quite a lot of history, but I can't even begin to tell you the amount of it that I left out. I just wanted to name the important dates, um, namely the ones where you know somebody built something so somebody else could knock it back down, so somebody else could rebuild it, so somebody else could blow it up, and it's just all big. So madness. the show's about ghosts, right? The first one, the bagpipe kid. Yeah. A little unfortunate there. Some stories say that he went in voluntarily. I find that very hard to believe because children back then, as you probably know from Mary Poppins, children were just small work people and they were utilised to just, you know, cram into a small place. Um, So I don't think he went in willingly. I think he was was forced to go. But then out of nowhere, his music just stopped. Yeah, he probably knew the tunnels from playing chasing when he was a kid. And then he got halfway down and he took a left turn and came out up. That's a much nicer story. <laughs> and then, he, went, and then he, he he didn't actually die or anything. He just said he came out one of the secret tunnels and oh. then his mates are playing footy or, in, you know, probably golf. And he went, let's play golf because we're in Scotland. But you know what you do then? You tell your kids who then tell their kids who then tell their kids you all learn how to play the bagpipes and when there's a bunch of tourists standing around edinburgh castle 400 years down the line you just very quietly play your bagpipes to make it sound like it's a ghost you can't, you can't play the bagpipes quietly no you can't actually you just you but just you know, have to wail this is what i don't understand about two of the stories got mixed up i thought it was a headless bagpipe player and a, a, a very visible head on the drummer and I was like, well, no, that makes no sense. It must be a headless drummer because how would a headless piper? I don't want to, to go into pipes? the details of how you could do it. Oh that? yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> Have you anybody for anybody? What are the other ghosts? Let's go back to them again. Okay, Janet was a very big one. So essentially, her husband's relative fell in love with her and accused her of killing her first husband. And the king was all for the accusation because he didn't like her because she was a Douglas. But that allegation fell through when they found out that her husband actually passed away from something fairly common at the time it could have been a fever it could have been anything but those charges were dropped and then when he came at her again and said that she was in cahoots with her new husband and a a very elderly priest that they were all trying to kill the king he was like oh yeah that'll definitely stick but to get like information out of her family or friends or anybody Mm. and then did she walk around is she the grey lady She's a grey lady now. Grey lady. Okay, well, that's a Cathy Bates. Oh, of course, yes. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. That's Cathy Bates. That's nice. I don't know why I'm scribbling stuff down here. <laughs> uh, okay, and who else have we got? There was one other at least. You've got the smelly, the smelly ghost. Smelly ghost, smelly ghost. <laughs> it's not your fault. Don't say Paul Rudd. Please don't say Paul Rudd. He marries Phoebe. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I just, I was going to say Mel Gibson. For, Let me blur. Yeah, for the Scottish... Yes, I've been playing William Wallace, but that doesn't seem like a bit fitting end. But I don't know this character, this fella's actor's real name, but the fella who plays Biff Buchanan in Back to the Future, yeah. because he has experience. He has experience, yeah. He has yeah, yeah. I mean, who, like, I mean, that's kind of what happens, though, when you're that much of a douche and you drive uh, a convertible behind a manure truck. It's going to happen. We're not saying that this particular ghost is a douche, we're just. Just the man who plays him. Are you serious? He's like literally been known for trying to push people out windows or whenever they're at a hike. Ah, he's just angry because he his death was crap. Yeah, that's very true. Who else have you got? So you've got the drummer. Uh, oh no, you didn't come up with one for the drummer. drummer. The drummer's headless, so he could literally be anybody. Uh, they could literally uh, be anybody. Yeah, no, let's not assume the gender of a headless torso. Uh, uh, I got nobody because I can't. I can't, can't see, see the face. The head. Head. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I want to say you could probably try and see if you could find someone for Mary Queen of Scots, but if you actually said anyone other than Adelaide Kane, she played Mary Queen of Scots in the series Rain that you still haven't watched, but I will get okay. you around to it. But she is very, like, do you know the way sometimes, what were we watching, the Unabomber? Yeah, was it the Unabomber we were watching where they started talking about profiling in the beginning? Yeah. The people that they found to play Charles Manson yeah, and Kemp, they all... they're put on point. This is the only one where I've actually seen an actress play the identical version of a painting. No. Because there are obviously no pictures of Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah. She's very, very like the character she, she's supposed to play. Um, but her story is so sad. You, you, I was in foul humor for two or three days trying to put this story together because particular one of the links that I'm going to put up on this episode, um, it unfortunately has a lot of, what are they called? Hyperlinks? Mm-hmm. In, yes. Yeah. So anyone that it mentions, it'll have a hyperlink. Any events or locations, it ha- I fell into so many rabbit holes and I read her whole story and I just got so angry at men. Um, so I kind of enjoyed reading up about her because the history part, but then at mm. the same time, I was angry at you for like two days. I vaguely remember that. <laughs> if you are ever in Scotland, though, there is a Dungeons tour, and I don't know if it's the Dungeons of the Castle or just Dungeons, but it's brilliant. It's not just a walk around the Dungeons and they've like swept the rat feces up and stuff. They have all of the old torture devices there and they have characters who play like we went this is the same time I went with the scouts yeah and like one of the first things they do is they sit you in like a mock courtroom no so way. they just put you in and, and they actually brought one of the, the scouts up and put her on trial for something and she got witchcraft and, yes, and we were all uh the the jury <laughs> uh, so she was found very guilty of course yes um and we had to fill in a form at the end because she was sentenced to death and the parents weren't happy but that's another story um but then they went through all the like t- types of torture and there was this one it's like a really slender pyramid the height of a person but maybe a foot squared at the bottom right up to a point is this like a four-sided spike yeah okay yeah and then, I, I already know what you're gonna and say and then just they dangle the women and then no! and then they go straight down, yeah. But it's, it's still really cool there because you, there's much more to tour and then they do this acting scene where everybody's screaming and being tortured. And there is like, I think it's like a little boat on a river thing. You think it's like the love boat, but it's all torture chambers you're going past. And there was another ride. It was like, it's kind of like an indoor roller coaster or an indoor track or something. Yeah. So we obviously had so many kids with us, we split up into two groups and the second group, which I was in, didn't get to go on the last bit because somebody somebody may have thrown up <gasps> on the thing. Um, that bad? What's if, scary for some people is terrifying for I don't know if it was fear others, so. or, or the, the movement of it, the person got sick. Oh, God. Um, because I wasn't on it and I don't know what it was. Okay. But then, then there was a gift shop, so that was good. That's a, but yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, like, did you even go to Castle Rock if you don't get a piece of rock? Is that an Irish and an English thing? I don't think any other countries even have. Uh, you have to get a, a stick of rock? Stick of diabetes, like. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sure you can get stick of rocks anywhere you go. I'd love to go over. I've said it a hundred times before. They're the kind of places that I'd love to bring the boys, purely because we'd get to enjoy it. And they wouldn't remember an absolute thing unless they walked off with a headless drummer and a uh, young bagpipe player and decided to go off playing. But. I'd love to go. I would absolutely Great. love and to go. And it's been so long since I've been, I've, I've forgotten everything. So There's probably new stuff anyway, or there's probably updates, or 
you know, even a new tour guide. Like we did the Gravedigger bus tour in I did Dublin. That before, so yeah. I don't know if your guy was the same as my guy. My guy, I swear to God, I'm not a hundred percent sure when he was and wasn't in character because his humour was exactly the same on both occasions. Mm. I've been on bus tours before where I've kind of been like, Oh, I think that was an interesting thing that was just said or but this guy had us engaged the whole time. So those reenactments that you were talking about, it's kinda of like on the Ginny Jones, the famine ship down by the Keys, they have like mannequins and stuff. And mannequins mm. are great. And it'll give you an idea what it's like when three are trying to sleep in a bed, top and tails. And it's, I don't know, the diameter of a porthole. It's a tiny little bunk bed that they're trying to sleep in. But just somebody acting out their role, it just gives you a whole other experience. I think it would be really, really cool. Do you think that like you'd go over again? Yeah, yeah, or, definitely. No, yeah. good, because I, I, I don't know if you'd kind of get the full experience when you're with the scouts I, because you're kind of more minding them. Uh, we were, scouts were older and we had meetup points. So we're like, we do the tour and then you go have a wander around. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I distinctly remember going, guys, I have money in our kitty for Burger King later. Mm. That's your dinner. We're not going back to camp to cook stuff today because we're out all day. Don't pig out on stuff because we're having Burger King yeah. at this time. And then we got to Burger King and half the kids is on the hungry eight loads of sweets. Stop. And then they want the food when they go back out. So I was livid. Livid, I yeah, tell Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. That you might not have had the same experience that you would have if you went with like but your if wife we went kids. O- if we went over and stayed in a half-decent hotel in or near the city, we could spend the day doing the castle. Yeah. And then do something else. Whereas when I went with the scouts, a lot of the activity was outdoor stuff in and around the campsite. And then the day we used the campsite bus to transport everybody in. Yeah. Um, for that particular day, and it was just one day, and then it was back to site. Yeah. Well, I think the from Edinburgh Castle to um Hollyrod or Holyrood, um. Palace. I think that's about a 17 minute walk. The likelihood of there not being about 50 shops that you could poke your head into and have a look around on the Royal Mile is slim. So oh, there's loads of stuff. Like yeah, it's... I'd say you'd, you'd get a good walk in. Um, mm. Obviously, the fact that the Edinburgh Castle is on Castle Rock, it's on a hill and it's Cobbalock. I'd say we'd start in Edinburgh Castle and then just well, have that nice gradient downhill and then just poke our head into shops and stuff. But Edinburgh itself, it looks like an absolutely beautiful place. You could easily get the boat over and we'd have the car. With yeah, us. that's we what I was going to say. We'd we go do a bit of travel. Belfast, Stranraine, drive across or something. Yeah. Well, if we have any UK listeners, by all means, tell us if there's any other places other than Edinburgh Castle in Edinburgh that we could go to. I know it's supposed to be a really good music scene. There's a whole bunch of other things for history as well. And it's supposed to be a really good scene for celiac options for food. Oh, cool. Yeah. They have a whiskey tour there, just saying. Well, that's obviously imperative information, Steve. This needs to be said. This needs to be said. Um, we finish up there? Do your words. Perfect. Okay. So, uh, if you have any questions or queries on today's episode or any other episode, uh, you can get us on our Instagram. It's What's the Story Ghost. If you have any personal experiences yourself that you would like to share with us, the email is What's the Story Ghost at gmail.com. And on that note, exit jingle. Bye. Cheerio.